Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Adam and Bruce, co-founders of 8STEM. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to have you both on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing is actually kind of revolutionary and quite interesting. But maybe before we actually dive into what exactly 8STEM is, let's get to know each one of you a little bit better first. Maybe, Adam, since you're kind of the CEO, let's let you go first and then Bruce can give his background. Sure, sounds good. Yeah, um, I, I started my love of music when I was... 11 or 12 years old, which, you know, orients me this like 25 plus years ago. Sure. That's great, um, man. Listening, listening to, you know, a kid of the Northwest, listening to the local, the music coming out of the Seattle scene and, um, and kind of feeling like I, even as a, you know, as a really young kid, like a sixth or seventh grader being able to, uh, feel like I was a participant in that thing. I couldn't go to clubs or anything, but everybody's really talking about the local music in the scene. I started playing instruments and guitars, which led me to playing in bands and just generally being obsessed with music and the, and the creative process and um, wound up finding my home kind of behind the desk, you know, after years of playing, you know, a decade of playing in bands um, behind the desk in the studio, making people sound good. It was okay. really, you know, sort of challenging for me to deal with musicians and, and all of the personalities <laughs> with, <Sure. laughs> with musicians in bands. But I could get these knobs, you know, the knobs would always move the same way. I could get the little the little boxes to do exactly what I needed them to do. And so it started this love of um, of production and, and making making people sound good and creating new things out of out of recorded uh, recorded material. And so that, that led to a, a stint as a touring artist. I got involved in the rave scene in the mid-90s. And sure. um, I, never, I never actually became a DJ. I was what was called a live PA, which was I was traveling around, traveling around the world with racks of synthesizers and drum machines and all of these gadgets to play live, you know, blistering techno music That's for cool, people though. in warehouses. <clears throat> it was super, super fun. And, and, you know, that was my kind of like, I'm always looking on the fringe for a differentiator. You know, there are a million DJs, but hardly anybody was foolish enough to carry all their synthesizers around the world on planes. <laughs> I was one of them. Um, and, uh, uh, the the production led to you know music production is all about technology um so the the transition into into the world of digital and um and getting into you know making music with robots essentially drum machines and and that was just sort of opened up this like technology being leveraged to foster creativity um in in the music space and so i i've, I've always been it's always been something that i do i haven't I haven't been a music producer like as a job for a, a really long time, but I still do projects when interesting projects come around and studio work and things like, you know, things like that. Just to, just to stay engaged. It's basically like, I mean, once you're, you can never really put it down once you're, once sure. you're bitten, um, yeah. bitten by the, bitten by the bug. It's like, you know, people who journal or, or write or play an instrument. You just, you just always, you're always doing it, whether you're doing it for work or play or whatever. So that was my, I was like kind of like, you know, intro into intro into music and, and where it took me. Sure. So I'm curious to know about kind of the home automation stuff that you've, you've done. <clears throat> yeah. And so that was, I was, um, I was, I was touring as a musician at the time and I was, uh, I, I wanted to go to college and, and study computer science. Um, this was like 97. Uh, okay. and, um, so I moved to I moved to Santa Cruz, California, and enrolled at the um, at UCSC, studied computer science and um, and philosophy, and I I just dug in. I, I mean, I just it was kind of like the building blocks of everything that I was using in the studio was you know it was like you know computer languages, programming languages that manifested in in sound. So I started studying and really digging into that, and at that time. Uh, it, it was almost like, you know, it was the first, the first round of the tech boom and things were just going crazy. And I got pulled out of school to be a, um, founding member in a, uh, in a tech company. <clears throat> and it was kind of like 
one of these, it was like one of these tech companies where all these like really smart people came together and they all came, they all brought like whatever discipline they were in before to it. And so I was bringing my discipline of music to the scene. And it was right when, when flash websites were, were were kind of like all the rage. Right. And so I was writing music for websites and we were doing like, you know, flash animations on our website and it made everything look super cool. And that was kind of like the catalyst that, I mean, I actually, you know, to this day and age, I'm not sure that we ever even sold anything out of this company. Like, I don't know if we ever even, we, but we had a shipping department, you know, with like, with people like, you know, shipping managers in it and all of this, all of this crazy stuff. And we had offices in nine countries after, you know, like six months of being quote unquote in business. And we were actually a public company on a, on a foreign stock exchange. And we did all of this, we did all of this stuff, but you know, at that time it was, we were we were about 20 years too soon and you know we we all thought that touch screens on your phone were you know like two years out and really they were like eight years out sure. and so that was what really um kind of killed it but that was that was my intro into actually like developing technology products and at that time it was it was hardware coupled to software and both were really clumsy um and so i i mean i always kind of just like i like the back end sort of nerdy uh, the nerdy back end that makes things go and makes lives easier. And that was like, that was my intro to that. So I, I mean, I stayed close to it and I, I like engineering and, and, um, and, and making things, making things work. And, and Bruce, do you maybe want to kind of give a, a bit of a background on yourself? Obviously you were, um, you know, co-founder or founder of Sub Pop Records. And so for, for people that don't know kind of your contribute contribution to kind of the entire music scene maybe do you want to kind of give people a bit of background on yourself and and sub pop yeah sure uh i am indeed the founder of seattle sub pop record label um a long t- i was i've been a long time music fan ever since i was a child i spent most of my money on records uh from age 10 on i became involved with college radio when I came out to Evergreen State College back in 1979 in Olympia. And this radio station had the most comprehensive collection of independent music in the United States. Essentially, I've been a longstanding fan of music, and in particular, a longstanding advocate of independent music. Uh, I've always worked towards uh, being in work environments that uh, that involve creative people. And that's what eventually led me to start the Sub Pop record label in uh, Seattle in the, in the late 80s. Sure. Okay. No, no, that's great. So walk me through, well, I guess walk people that don't understand maybe or, or kind of know the music industry that well. Like you've signed and Sub Pop signed kind of some of the greatest bands of all time, right? And so obviously probably when you were signing a lot of them, you had no idea kind of where they would end up going. And a lot of them are still kind of touring and playing today. But I I think why I ask that is because I think it really leads into kind of what you guys are doing at 8STEM. So do you maybe want to kind of talk about some of the bands and some of the kind of history behind that a little bit? Sure, sure. Well, uh, in the late 80s, I had noticed that there was a particular sound coming out of the Seattle area, which eventually uh, became called Grunge. And uh, Sub Pop signed Nirvana, Soundgarden, a number of bands that people have heard of. Uh, There's a group we work with called Green River that uh, eventually went on to form Mother Love Bone, Pearl Jam, Mud Honey, and so forth. So Sub Pop did what a lot of classic indie labels did, which was focus on a particular region and then help blow that up. Now, in addition to working with with uh, bands, it also worked with the photographer Charles Peterson, who helped kind of advertise the scene. I worked with a producer, Jack and Dino, who helped produce a lot of these artists. So a record label really is uh, it's a support system for creative people that involves more than just musicians, a wide variety of creative people. Sure. So so I'm curious, obviously you guys are both kind of co-founders of, of 8STEM. What exactly is 8STEM? And I'm curious to know how you guys met. 
Yeah, I mean, well, we could maybe, I'll, I'll go with the how we met uh, sure. first, because it, sure. it sort of leads into this. So uh, Bruce and I both have residence on a uh, remote island in the Pacific Northwest called Orcas Island. Okay. And um, uh, Bruce um, moved up there after uh, sort of exiting from the day-to-day at Sub Pop. Um, and it's a, it's a remote island with 5,000 people on it, serviced okay. by a ferry boat, no, no bridges or roads or anything like that to it. That's and cool. um, and I, I went there after my uh, my tech company um, imploded and uh, was looking to just do something radically different. Sure. And um, Bruce and I met at a fundraiser dinner for a children's uh, like a, 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 a private school, <clears throat> and we were just kind of the two weirdest people there. <laughs> and we hung out on the steps outside of this building. There was a dinner party going on. We started talking about music, and that led us into uh, Terrence McKenna and interest in, you know, sort of like, you know, wild, wild philosophies. And, and, um, and we just kind of hit it off. That's and, great. Um, and we became friends and just started, you know, we were just two, two people talking about, a, you know, our mutual obsession um, with music and, you know, all kinds of, you know, that, that whole rabbit hole of trivia that goes on there and and bruce was obviously very knowledgeable and i had heard of bruce before but we hadn't um we had never met so you know we spent the next decade uh or so uh attending music festivals together and talking about doing something in the music spaces we were both looking kind of like you know what's next it was, this is you know the 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 business and the culture had sort of started to stagnate a bit um and, and begin to, to lose, you know, continue to lose value after the introduction of the digital file format. So we've, sure. we've been talking for, you know, almost a decade about what's, what's coming next before we, um, before we decided to actually jump in with, uh, with 8STEM. Sure. So for people that haven't heard of 8STEM, what exactly is it? And was there like a defining moment that you guys were like, okay, we need to build this? Yeah, I mean... So what HSM is? HSM is a is a mobile application. The the end user experience is it's a mobile app, and it's a mobile app that allows you to remix music on your phone and then share that with your friends and social media. And so what that actually looks like is like if you're listening to a song, and you think that the saxophone solo is annoying, <laughs> a lot sure. of people think that. You press a button and the saxophone. You press a button and the saxophone solo is gone. Have you said, you know what, I'm listening to this chorus right now. All I want to hear in this chorus is the vocal. You press another button and only the vocal is playing during the chorus. So it allows you to interact with music like, like a producer does in the studio, but you can do it just on your, on your mobile device. Sure. So it's, like, it's, a, it's a way, it's like taking the listener experience, like uniformly all music listeners press the play button and then they wait for the song to finish. And some people turn the bass up on their amp, and other people turn the treble up on their, you know, on their amp, and they make subtle adjustments to it. But in the studio, producers are working with all of these different audio elements, and you get to decide how the final composition comes together. And so we're taking the, the listener experience of pressing play, and we're moving it one baby step closer with rails on it, you know, so you can't make it sound bad, um, but giving the user that ability to like, take things out, put things in, move the chorus, you know, in front of the verse instead of after it, and then save all that together and then share it with, share it with your friends. Sure. So for people, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just see it as a very powerful creative tool. And uh, in the same way that the indie rock culture helped uh, encourage young bands to put out their own records, 8STEM is allowing uh, young amateur music fans to become remixers. Sure. It, it's almost kind of like the people that are dedicated enough in kind of the, like back in the, well, I'm sure people still do it today, but like almost like put out a fanzine or something. It's kind of that type of level of commitment, right? And I think it, it's great to be Absolutely. able to kind, kind of modify and change kind of some of the tracks by your favorite artists, right? I, I think that's really powerful and really cool and kind of people listen to music all day, every day, you know, whether they're at work or maybe not school so much unless they're doing homework. But I think a lot of people listen to music, you know, 
all the time and being to being able to kind of interact and change parts of it it was really cool to me when i kind of discovered you guys a month or so ago or a couple months ago so i'm curious sorry i'm glad you're stoked uh i just wanted to throw in as well just for for me growing up uh in the in the 70s and 80s and going to punk clubs and seeing fans become super fans and then maybe a week later there those super fans are on stage starting their own band and then maybe putting out their own single uh, i've always been really intrigued by that whole dynamic between the super fan and the amateur artist i think hdm is um helping to facilitate a, a similar a trajectory for super fans where and the super fan actually becomes the artist through through the stepping stone sure no I, I think that's that's actually really cool so how did you guys recruit the actual artists to work with you guys was it some connections you guys had in the music industry did you cold call a bunch of people was it kind of a bit of both are you uh, uh, sorry are you are you asking on the musical on the musical side? Yeah, on the musical side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, essentially we're 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 networking with a lot of uh, artists that we had we had made contact with through West Fo West Coast Festival community as well okay. as uh, the Seattle music scene. Uh, very similar to what happened at Sub Pop, which was just working with friends and friends of friends. Sure. And once the momentum started to, to happen, uh, other artists started to contact us. For example, this artist Gotch from uh, Japan. Very cool. Adam? Yeah. You want me to riff on that? Adam, do you want to riff on yeah, do you want to yeah, do you want to riff on what's what's been happening with uh, Gotch from Japan because I think that's yeah. a perfect example of how um HDM is starting to become uh yeah, sorry for that beeping. I just had it back up there for a second. So, yeah. um, yes, HM is is becoming a global phenomenon. I think this this Gotch project is a perfect example of of where we're at right now. Sure. Yeah. So 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 part of it, Kevin, is like, you know, you you have to experiment um, when you're building something entirely new. There's really no precedent for this uh, in existence yet. Um, sure. There's never been a a consumer facing um, device that allows anyone, you know, to, to interact with, with multi-channel audio with, with like studio, studio audio. Sure. And no. so, so we're, we're constantly looking around for like, you know, different, different styles of music. We don't actually, we don't act, you know, we, we don't know what's, what's going to catch or what people are going to respond to. So I um, mean, just start putting things out and we've got just, you know, every different style that we, can that that we can get you know in the in the ecosystem right now for demo purposes and this um this artist gotch who's the who's the uh, lead singer for a fairly well-known band globally called asian kung fu generation okay sure. um they came to us they came to us and said you know we're gonna put out we're gonna put out a new single on a bunch of different formats Interesting. and they wanted to do they wanted to do they did vinyl and CD and um, and then also put it out on eight stem. They were like, well, "Let's do retro, um, and we'll do retro, and we'll do we'll do future." And so we we put the song out on eight stem. So we take it and we add we we have our producers add a bunch of different um, a lot of different elements that that end users can can play with and create new stuff out of. So it's okay. like it's like uh, you have a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of ingredients to create new stuff. And so what we saw in that was really, it was really interesting. It was almost like um, when that artist put it out to his network and people came in, the, the engagement metrics went berserk. <laughs> and, you know, we had like, and it's, it's actually, you know, creating a remix, we're, what we're trying to do is really democratize the process and make it very easy. Sure. But it's still taking, still taking this esoteric, very complicated art form that barely anybody knows how to do and trying to deliver that to the masses in their, in their phone. So it's, it's not, um, it's really biting off a lot, uh, technologically and design wise, sure. but, um, but we're seeing it like people are really actually, actually getting it. Um, and it's, it's impressive to watch. And it's also, it's neat to see how people in different, in different countries who have different relationships with technology actually respond to the, uh, 
respond to the process and what they do once they're inside. And so we're tracking all of those things to see, you know, to, to look for signals of what's, you know, what's fun for people, where do they get stuck, how do we improve the process, and, um, and also what music do people actually want to, um, actually want to engage with in, in this way. Sure. No, that's great. So when you bring on a, a new artist and they send you the tracks, do they have to send you obviously the different, like the guitar on a track, the bass on a track, or, or how does that kind of work? Well, we ask, we ask for it to be broken down to four stems. So what a stem okay. is, a stem is a, is a grouping of, of similar audio elements, right? Got you. So in the studio, as a producer for the drums, you'll have like toms and a kick drum sure. and a snare drum and a hi-hat and everything on all of these different tracks. Like sure. everyone is isolated. But in eight stem, it's just, called, it's just a stem file called drums. And gotcha. that's just everything is grouped together, right? So we, we break it down to lead, which is vocals or a lead instrument. Um, bass is another stem. Drums is another stem. And instruments is another stem. So it's four elements make up an original, an original audio, an original track. Sure. And then we have, other, we have other, basically infinite numbers of other tracks that we can put into that that are, that are complementary, that mix with the original, and then you, you blend all of these things together to create something new. Sure. No, I, I think that's, that's actually really cool. And I was, I was, when I was playing with the app, the app is actually like really intuitive. So I'm, I'm not surprised that you guys are, are getting good response from, from your users. And I think maybe some of the credit goes to Apple because they've spent a lot of time kind of allowing people to, you know, tweak audio and, and video in kind of their own apps on a on a touchscreen device. And I think you guys have kind of leveraged some of those ideas in the app to kind of cr make it your own. But it, it's pretty kind of intuitive in, in the sense that, like, I didn't feel like I had to learn something new to interact and, and kind of, you know, play with the different kind of tracks and, and stuff like that. So I think you guys did a really good job of crafting a, a, an interface for touchscreen that allows people to edit and play with and kind of, you know, build their own kind of tracks or remix their own tracks. Well, thank you. I mean, that's, that's really encouraging to, um, to, to hear that. I mean, it's, when you're when you're building out technology, it's really you know it's 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 not about me and it's not about Bruce. It's not about anybody who works in our company. Like we're user centric in sure. our focus, and it's really all about like you can build the world's most magnificent thing that takes this super complex task and makes it really really easy. But if people can't figure out your user interface, it does not matter at yeah, it's all. all. <laughs> no, fair <laughs> enough. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah, no, no offense, but you know it didn't work. And so that's, you know, that's kind of our process is constantly just gathering data and trying to refine it um, to make, you know, little things simpler. It already does. You know, what, what we've actually built in terms, of, in terms of audio and engineering, it already does all of the things that we need it to do in order to create the things that we want it to create. But the... Um, the presentation of those things and those features and then uh, the, the learnability of how to actually do those things is, has yet to be revealed. You know, we're still, that's what we work on and that's what we talk about every day. And so that, um, that's really the, the, the core process and the, and the development that is actually, you know, most difficult is sort of like consumer psychographics and figuring out how, you know how to teach how to teach somebody something without them knowing that they're actually learning it so that it's just purely intuitive and so while it may be you know intuitive to you or intuitive to me um the vast majority of people you know i, I presume you know given your your position that you're a technically minded person and have sure. been around technology for a long time the you know the people who are Every day, there's millions of new technology users who've never, who don't have that experience with technology, and, and yours and my experience is actually, is actually, you know, we're we're basically dinosaurs. You know, we've been doing this for twenty odd years, sure. and um, the new the new consumers coming online and getting their first phones are never going. They may not even 
they might not even need UX designers by the time those people are, are old enough to vote. It yep. might, it might yep. just be voice commands to Alexa. It's like, Alexa, build me the coolest looking app in the world that's really easy to do. And then poof, it materializes out of thin air. And, you know, all the UX guys are like, I mean, but I went to school for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's no, I, I 100% agree with you. It's interesting. And I love how you guys are kind of bringing technology and kind of almost like an intimacy between kind of bands and fans. And and the thing that I kind of find yep. interesting and, and kind of tie together, it's almost like, it's almost comparable to like when Twitter or like social media allowed you to reach out to people that you've kind of idolized, right? And I, I think this is almost like one yes. step further because it's even more intimate when you get to change and manipulate somebody else's art that you already admire, right? And I think that's in itself really cool. And I love how you guys are leveraging kind of both your music backgrounds and kind of a tech background to take what you guys are using and bringing technology into the music industry, which I don't think hasn't really necessarily been known for having the best kind of technology behind it sometimes or you know just and what I mean by that is like there's been kind of some disasters I think with kind of the, some of the DRM stuff and obviously with torrents and file sharing and, and stuff like that and kind of how it was handled just by the industry as a whole I think it's to some people at least they kind of failed that so I think I love how you guys Absolutely. are trying to bring technology back into the music industry and kind of making it intimate and fun for for the user do you agree with that i i, mean, I, I, yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying and um just just reflecting for a second um on sub pop and and how sub pop blew up at the at the at the onset is that intimacy is really the key word intimacy is really the key word uh, our fans were going to Nirvana shows at the beginning because they could see Nirvana in a, in a small club. We sure. were releasing records in limited editions. Uh, so we were constantly catering to the super fan and the super fan wants connection with the artist. That's what a super fan is. And so if you can heighten that intimacy and that connection with the artist, that's how you're going to reach the super fan. And I, and I think Ace really is doing a, a tremendous job at, uh, at developing this, this potential for intimacy. Sure. But I also think from the artist's point of view, it's allowing them to get exposed to new fans as well, right? As they adopt kind of new platforms to get their music kind of globally. Because I think the, the great thing about the internet is... I literally have the entire world at my fingertips, but the, so does everybody else, right? And and being able yes. to yes. create new ways to get your music and your art out to the world is very beneficial because a lot of artists can't go ahead and build their own kind of tech startup that helps musicians. They they just that's not who they are, right? Yes, I agree. I think. The biggest challenge for any artist is how does the artist develop the brand? How does the artist distinguish themselves? Okay. And so by engaging in a novel platform uh, is, 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 an, is an awesome opportunity for artists to, to distinguish themselves from the competition at this point. And this is one of the reasons why artists are starting to come to us. Sure. No, that that's great. So, I know you guys are kind of working on an Android version. Um, are you guys eventually going to build a web version of this, or are you guys going to stay mobile? Well, there's the 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 back end of this is all is is all driven from a, a web application that we've built. That okay. That houses all of the audio and it's kind of like an admin, you know, there's an admin channel for, for content that exists there. On the, you know, I don't, I guess I just don't really know the answer to that question. What we, what we, what we strive for is a consistent audio experience across all devices that are using the system. Got you. And in order to get that consistent experience, you need like, 
you know, you need consistent, fairly consistent hardware in order yeah. to make that work. And delivering it, you know, we're pushing a lot of files through here. You know, pretty much, pretty much every audio player from you know Spotify to Deezer and Pandora and everybody, that's basically like one audio player playing one audio file. Sure. Right. It's pretty simple. Deliver an audio file. Play this file back. It's a very consistent experience across all devices. With 8STEM, there are 64 audio players within our app. <laughs> They're yeah, okay, each playing a little section, a little section of a file, and it's really difficult to create that experience across like various different internet connections and um, you know audio audio cards on on computers and such. It's really challenging, and so. There may be, you know, sometime in the future, if it was apparent that people really wanted that or needed that, that our users needed that, and we could provide a consistent experience, then we'd probably go for it. But, you know, but at this point, it's it's so complex to really provide this this experience to to people um, consistently that it's like it's it's mostly hardware hardware limiting. I mean, right now, the horsepower that's in my you know my iPhone is equivalent to most, you know, or exceeds performance of, you know, most people's computers around the world. I mean, most of the world is pretty um, sort of like, you know, technologically unsophisticated yeah. if you go outside of the, you know, outside of the West. Sure. Um, so, sure. you know, everybody, it's like you can get a phone for, you know, you can get an Android phone, which is what we're, we're building for right now for like, Basically, $100 U.S. pretty much anywhere across the world, you can go and get an, an Android phone. So the bar is the bar is really low. So that's our that's our core focus. But is that part of the? Because I, I understand like loading that much data and kind of being able to live kind of edit that much data in the browser is is extremely difficult, especially kind of audio and to do it well, um, especially mm -hmm. on kind of an older computer. But are you running into the same challenges with some of the maybe less? Because like Apple hardware is obviously premium hardware. Like there's you can't argue that, right? But mm -hmm. Android kind of spans everything from low end to mid range to kind of high end hardware. Are you having trouble getting some of that audio stuff working on maybe some of the lower end kind of phones, or is that not really an issue because you're running at least? natively on the phone um no that's a, it's a technical challenge for sure it's solvable um but sure. it's like you gotta when you're you know if you're developing for ios you're basically developing for four different devices you know sure. it's like one one version in the past current version one version in the future you know yeah. so right now we're not we're not building out for iPhone fours anymore. So we're just building iPhone five, iPhone six, and iPhone seven. You sure. know, and iPads are just covered under that. Yeah. With Android devices, there's there's such a huge variation oh, yeah. in terms of processors and audio converters, and you know, it's just like there's a lot of a lot of hardware variation. So there are like numerous challenges in order to to deliver a consistent experiences across that across that platform. It's really easy if all you're doing is, you know, if you're, if you're building a, a, a messaging service or a, yeah, you yeah. Know, a web browser or even a video player is, is really totally basic and there's plenty of libraries for that. But when you're doing something from scratch, that's, that's part of the technical challenge is figuring out, you know, like, how do, we actually, how do we actually get this so that it, you know, we want kids in the middle of Africa who get like the lowest level phone possible those are the people that we're most excited about hearing sure. from. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to interpret this music? And what are they going to produce that's going to feed energy into the system? So that's kind of like, that's totally. the most exciting, that's the most exciting thing for us is when, you know, Kanye releases a track on 8STEM in New York and it gets remixed by somebody in the Congo. Yeah, that's the, amazing. You know, an hour later and then reposted and somebody else, you know, somebody in Finland picks it up and then busts a rhyme over it and it all gets kind of like blended together instantaneously. That's the, that's the kind of global juice that we're, that we're looking for and that we're most excited about. No, I, I, I absolutely think, global cross pollination. Sure. No, I, I think that's great. And I, I love how the internet kind of connects people like that. Right. That's, that's always mm -hmm. been my fascination with the internet anyway, but, but I'm curious to know then, how do you guys plan on kind of monetizing this eventually, or have you guys kind of not gotten there yet? 
there's numerous ways that we're, you know, we've got a bunch of things in place. I mean, we just, uh, we just turned on monetization kind of as a, a beta um, this week, actually. Okay. And, um, and we're just experimenting with, um, you know, different ways of actually selling content. And it, it, it looks and feels different than the traditional ways of selling content. You know, it's not, Go to iTunes, pay a dollar twenty nine, get this song, put it on your, you know, put it on your device and take it with you. Sure. It's more about the it's about the the experience is the is the actual commodity. So in our in our app you're you go through a catalog of songs, you select to play a song, you a song plays and it feels like a like a traditional, you know, music player. But there's buttons in there that allow you to change the style of the music on the fly. So if you're listening to a song that's like you know, a traditional pop song, you press a button, uh, you press one button and the whole thing shifts into a dubstep version. And then you press another version and it shifts in, another button and it, press, it changes it into a breakbeat version. And then another button changes it into an ambient version. Sure. And then there's one other premium button where it's like, you know, you pay two bucks and all of a sudden you're taking a, you know, a song by James Brown, for instance, and you're dropping Doff Punk stems onto it, and those Doff Punk stems will will cost you two bucks. Sure. So you're it's actually like the experience of that, and then you can build on it from there and 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 produce things out of that out of that material. So it's 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 a different it's a different it feels differently on the end user experience, but essentially you're you're getting access to to gated content. Got you. Um, I'm I'm curious then. Is it challenging kind of building that, that payment gateway around the audio or, or it's not really any different than kind of charging for anything else on, on kind of the App Store or, you know, the Google Play Store? Um, it's, it's similar, but there's, you know, it, it, it's kind of like what happens to it, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, what happens to it after somebody actually gets access to it. Okay. So they, you know, they make a payment. And then they get this, they get this content. And so the, the next step, that's, that's a very simple transaction. You know, that's like one person is the seller, one person is the buyer, you exchange two bucks or $1 or whatever it is. And, uh, and then you're done. But in eight step, you're never actually, it never actually ends. You're never actually done because it, you're, you're decoupled from a stereo file and everything is dynamic. You can add things to a song, take things away, um, change it, share it with friends. So it's the, the complex part is actually looking at what are the what is what's the sort of like waterfall effect from that content and how it gets shared to um, to somebody else and when new people come in to um, add additional things like artists new artists come in to the system and contribute content that then gets used in other songs in the system um, how does that transaction work and how does that actually get how does that actually get valued and then and then ultimately monetized out of a um, out of a new thing out of a new song that's created sure. and um, so it's like it's all it's the, the the first transaction is really easy and we're just experimenting with that but the the bigger question is how do you go into this sort of like fractional monetization strategies with um, with content that happens you know downstream from that sure. and so that's what we're that's the next piece that we're that we're looking to build out and you know it's it's all everything that we're doing is you know unfortunately for us it's all from scratch because it's it's brand new and doesn't exist yet but it's also very exciting because you know we get to we get to participate in the in the solution for these these are these are all problems that have plagued the music industry since digital files were introduced sure. how to track how to monetize how to see who's doing what how to administer rights um and so we're you know we're right in the thick of that and and, and trying to solve those problems Sure. So did you guys raise money? Did you self-fund? How did you guys kind of get this thing uh, kind of up and running financially? Well, we, we self-funded through, a, yes, well, self-funded through a prototype. Okay. And then we took the, we took the prototype to friends and family gotcha. and then, um, you know, raised, raised money from friends and family, which have really got us through about like almost the past year and a half. That's awesome. Has been you know, we've been very capital efficient. Um, when we originally started shopping this around, the uh, the bids to to build it out 
um, it was just like astronomical and, and there was no way that we were going to be able to raise that kind of money. We're talking millions of dollars sure. um, for something that was speculative and nobody was really sure if it was actually going to work in the first place. That was kind of like that because it hadn't been done, you know, hadn't been proven. Sure. Yep. So we so we just, you know, we just hustled and we just got we just got people who were able to work for equity uh, mostly and who are highly skilled in what it is that we're doing. We built a team of people who are going like, you know, let's go and revolutionize the music industry and, and go after the biggest, the biggest play in the history of recorded content. I mean, that's what we're looking at is to take existing music and fractal, no it, out to an, and fractal it out to an, to an exponential degree and, and really, you know, revolutionize this whole thing, like really blow it up. And, uh, and fortunately, we were able to tell that story that in a way that got people inspired and, and willing to work it. So, you know, we're, we're out. The, the hustle is always, you know, we're always raising money. Um, sure. That's, the, that's what, just what, that's what you do when you're in this game. Um, but so far, you know, we've got, we're, we're working it right now, working a new, working a new round. And, um, and yeah, so now we're at the point now where we can actually, we can actually go to, you know, go to market and, and scale it. And also we're, we've just, um, we've just gotten, uh, contracts in place with, uh, major labels that I will not disclose specifically at this time, but oh, we fine. are now, we, we now have, you know, major label content coming into the system, That's awesome. um, which will, which will be able to, you know, go public with, um, before the, before the end of the year. But now the you know, the content equation is now, um, is, is getting solved so that we'll be able to take, you know, we'll be able to present experiences of music, of songs that every single person in the world has heard, but uh, present them in a totally new way that they've never, that they never imagined. No, I, I think that's great. So are you guys going to eventually open up the platform, say, like my favorite local band could upload their content, 8STEM, and I could, you know, play with their, their tracks? Or is that maybe down the future who knows have you guys thought about that i eventually it will you know right now we're 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 kind of operating as a label um okay, in that we're 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 cur you know bruce is curating the artists that are coming on board and we're, and we're we're really you know we're in an experimental phase where we're we're figuring out like what is remixable music and how do users respond to it right. eventually you know there'll be some some way um, for us to filter out content so that it's like it's based on followers and it looks more like a social network. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. But when we when when you know we're we're looking to we're looking to build that out. But so far the 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 content pipeline is um, is is you know closed or at least you know it's it's our it's our say who gets in there. But eventually it'll open up and become you know it it'll become a much larger ecosystem. Sure. So. I'm kind of curious to get both of your guys' thoughts on the current state of, of the music industry. And I'm sure you guys get asked that a lot, but not necessarily. I, I'm kind of curious to know from like the technical side and kind of what you guys see from the artist side. Kind of, you know, is it the same or different than kind of the post, pre and post kind of technology revolution that, that swept kind of the industry in the, the late nineties, early two thousands. Well, Hey Bruce, why don't you take the, take the artist one? Sure. Uh, I guess my, my essential gut feeling is that, uh, pop music right now has never been more formulaic. And even though there, there might be some good, tunes out there uh, compared to a, a golden era of music, let's say just for instance, the sixties, when I grew up, sure. I could turn on the radio and listen to James Brown, the Beatles, Bob Dylan, uh, Leonard Cohen, Neil, Neil Young and so forth. And it was a very, there was a, a rich period of music there where labels were very artist centric. And now I feel that uh, because music, money has been so hard to come by in the music industry, the industry is becoming increasingly more conservative, and that really bothers me. Sure, uh, I've always been inspired by by creativity, 
And this is why I was an indie rock activist for so long, trying to uh, facilitate younger people to put out their, their music and, uh, and why I'm involved with HDEM right now, uh, because it's a, a creative tool that can empower young people. Uh, so my, my core opinion is that the industry is in a very stagnant kind of uncreative period. Uh, a lot of artists who are living on the fringes with an indie rock are, are not making a lot of money, certainly with recordings. They're, they're hustling uh, with live shows. Uh, there is good music out there, but I think for the, the strong majority of musicians, it's been very hard to make a living. And uh, that's, that's uh, affected the, the quality of, I would say, popular music right now. Sure. No, it's, I would agree with that. That makes sense. And Adam, from the technical side? Well, from the, it's funny, you know, I mean, it's like it, from the technical side, it really is the it is the golden era in terms of opportunity. Sure. Uh, just because of the interconnectedness <clears throat> that the um, that the Internet provides. Um, but at the same time, so it's, a, it's the golden opportunity. It's the golden era for opportunity. But it's also like the dark ages in terms of uh, in terms of the ability for people to actually find things that are relevant to them just because there's so much out there. So it's, it's, it's now fairly easy for if you have a decent, you know, a decent skill set and a, some technological tools, you can produce, you know, you can produce music and um, there are plenty of examples of, you know, people who started making music 12 months ago and are now DJing in front of stadiums and people um, around the world. So it's, sure the the um the sort of historical um discipline of creating music has basically gone out of the window and been been enabled by enabled by technology which has created a ton of music out there and really kind of like it's it's almost like the listener is is kind of a an afterthought um sure. to the to the whole process so so it's it's a mixed bag um technologically and and really the solution for you know, the, it needs to be music as a creative industry is, a, is an ecosystem and it needs to be um, it needs to be nourished at every step along the along the chain from uh, from creativity to the people that make the software that makes the music industry go to the delivery mechanisms and the payment, like the payment processors. Everybody needs to be um, it needs to be holistic. And so right now you have this, um, it's, it's this kind of like the searching for its, it's searching for its equilibrium, um, sure. um, presently. And it's, it's a complicated equation. And just for instance, you know, Spotify is the biggest, is the, it's like the biggest thing in music that ever, that ever was. And it's potentially the biggest thing in music that ever will be. Um, it's, you know, has the same catalog of music as, as everybody else, as all of the other services, but they've been, they've managed to market it in such a way that has captured the, the world's attention. And the headline that I read this morning said Spotify's losses double even as its user growth surges. Interesting. So that was the, that was the headline this morning. So the bigger it gets, the more money they lose. Yeah. For some, you know, for, for a number of, of, there's a number of contributing factors to that. Um, this, this, you know, larger, there's a much larger discussion around that, but it is impossible. Spotify lost over $600 million dollars in, in 2016. Yeah. It That's is cool. not that, I don't care. Spotify doesn't make a product. It doesn't send, it doesn't, it doesn't have, postage is not an expense. It doesn't have delivery drivers. It is delivering digital files to users via invisible, you know, invisible transmission lines totally. around yep. the world. And it's, it, and it is the biggest thing in the space. And it lost over $600 million last year. And so there, that's a, that's a broken, that's a, that's a severely broken system. Yep. And a broken uh, for for whatever you know whatever there's there's a, a million contributing right. factors to that, but that's right. not and, that's not yeah. sustainable. Uh, and, and Bruce, what were you going to yeah. say? I was just going to say uh, it's it's really 
the Spotify situation is kind of a reflection of what's uh, a microcosm, what's going on globally with, with wealth distribution, where you have the CEO of Spotify probably uh, worth the, the net amount of uh, most indie musicians across the globe. You know, sure. there's, we need to distribute wealth more equitably with the artists. And once artists feel more empowered and they have some more cash, I think you're going to, we're going to experience uh, more of a renaissance, a cultural renaissance, but artists need to get paid. Yeah. Not just the CEO of Spotify. Yeah, no, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I, I think that's, you know, that that's key, right? Like I, I, like I, I guess I'm kind of guilty in the sense that I I pay for a I actually pay for Google Play Music, which is obviously a competitor of Spotify. So I can you know basically I, I love my streaming music. I miss the days of going to you know the record store and and picking out a CD or a record or or something like that. But the the thing that's interesting is I still try to go to as many like live shows and you know buy some merch or something from from the bands that I that I love to see live because. That's kind of the only way they make their money, right? Because the yep, yep. So I, I don't know. It, to I don't. I guess like well, I'm curious to see how this whole thing sorts itself out and how the industry kind of you know plays out in the next three to five years with everything. And and the main reason I really wanted to have you guys on the show is if I can you know leverage you know my community to maybe help you guys. And and I just love kind of talking to you guys about what you guys are doing, because I, I think it's really cool and it's it's much needed. But we're coming to the end of the show, so let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about 8STEM and any other links you guys want to mention. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the App Store. Head to the App Store and grab the app. If you're on iOS, if you're on Android, hit our website up, 8STEM.com, number 8STEM and uh, drop your email so we can notify you when Android's done and, um, and just engage, you know, go out and create a remix, see what you think. If you can't figure it out, let us know. You know, we just have it so you can just shake your phone and send us a message, it's super easy and we respond to all those and we're, you know, we're building it to suit. So go get it and create something. Perfect guys. Well, I really appreciate awesome. taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day and weekend. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them in the future.